Uh, let's pray, and then we'll just prepare our hearts just in a, in a little bit of quietness for the Lord to speak to us. You know, we don't just come here um, to hear a long-winded preacher preach, uh, although that's part of it, unfortunately. Um, this is the Word of God. This is not just a, a self-help message. This is not just, you know, good wisdom for today, although it is, it is that and both of those things. What we are discussing here every Sunday morning is the Word of God. And that is why we ask you to have Bibles in your hands, and that is why we take the time to read it together, because this is uh, the inspired Scripture that is profitable to fully equip you for every good work. So let's just take a moment of silence, just prepare our hearts, ask the Lord to open up your eyes, open up your heart, that you might uh, receive what He has for you today. And then I will uh, pray, and we'll begin the study. Father, we thank You for... uh, just getting our focus um, back on you this morning. We have been running about like chickens with our heads cut off all week, pursuing all the things of this world. And Lord, you know, you know that we are dust. That's from the earth we have come and to it this body will return, Lord. But yet you have us here for a little while as, as pilgrims. And you call us to be here on this earth, but to be a light, to be salt, and to keep our minds and our eyes focused, not on the things of the earth, but the things above. And that's so hard, Lord. That's so hard. So again, here we are, um, asking you to uh, be patient with us, asking you to transform us by the, by the renewing of our minds. As we open up your word, Lord, we respect you. We give you the honor, the worship that is due to the creator of the heavens and the earth. The one who holds our very breath in his hands. The, the earth, the, the mountains are like, the nations are like drops in the bucket to you, Lord. And we know that a, a truly wise man, a truly powerful man is strong enough to humble himself before the almighty God. Lord, we bow our knee to you this morning. We bow our heart, bow our head and our mind. We even bow our will, Lord, to you. We pray that you just open our eyes so we could see wondrous things from your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people agreed by saying, Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 19. We finished most of that chapter last time we met. We are continuing with the the thought process. Uh, If you think back to uh, chapter 18, I think this bears on what we're going to read. Jesus had dealt with these arguments, discussions among the disciples about who would be, uh, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They, they of course, were talking about which one of them was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And and Jesus taught them about humility and, and on the teaching went uh, until they came to this man, or this man came to them, who we call the rich young ruler. And he came asking Jesus, you know, what good thing must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, you know, presented him with the the man-to-man commandments, the second set of, the second six of the commandments. He doesn't mention covetousness directly, but rather indirectly. 
Uh, he says also, you know, hey, love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, I've done all these things. And I thought more about this this week. You know, this guy had a lot of possessions. And when Jesus told him to sell those things, give to the poor, he revealed the fact that he really didn't love his neighbor as himself. Because he loved himself so much, he felt like he deserved a lot of possessions. He bought a lot of stuff for himself. But he didn't want to give those things to his neighbor. See, if he loved his neighbor as himself, he'd love his neighbor enough to give his neighbor the same things he gave to himself. Right? That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. To look at your neighbor and say, well, if I'd like it, maybe he would like it too. So he hadn't really loved his neighbor as himself. Uh, so Jesus you know, kind of puts his finger on the heartbeat of this man's issue. He loved his possessions. He loved his lifestyle. Uh, was not willing to give those things up in order to follow Jesus. And, and he talked about how difficult it was for a rich man or a person that trusts in riches to trust in God, to get into heaven. Because a person that has money is so used to buying everything. There's nothing that they can't get in and of this world, um, materially speaking. We know there is a lot that can't be bought. Otherwise, uh, star athletes and, and entertainment industry people would be the happiest and most fulfilled on the face of the earth. But what do we find, folks? Quite the opposite to be true. Now, uh, verse 21 of chapter 19. Remember, he said, if you want to be perfect or you want to be complete, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Verse 22, he went away sorrowful, not angry. He went away sorrowful. Now, Peter, in verse 27, is still kind of picking up on that. Verse 27, then Peter answered and said to him, to Jesus, see, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? And it's an it's a interesting question, Peter. You know, he sees this rich young ruler. He sees this, this offer to follow put in front of him. And he sees the guy walk away sad. He's not willing to follow. And Peter is thinking about this going, he wouldn't follow. We did follow. Hey, I wonder what's in it for us. He promised that guy treasure in heaven. And, and I wonder what's in it. You ever come to church that way? You ever kind of feel that way in your heart? You know, like you're making deals with God. You know, God, I'll follow you if. And you've got, you've got God boiled down to this, God, I'll do A, B, and C as long as you do X, Y, and Z. And, and we've, we've come up in this culture and in a mindset, especially in America, that, um, that we, we, we get rewarded for the amount of work we do. And, and that's true. We often, we see that. Um, and it's gone to an extreme degree, I think. Maybe if you have kids, we've learned to pay them allowance. Wait a second. I thought everybody contributed to the household. Now, I'm not knocking. If you pay allowance to your kids, that's fine. But we can easily cultivate this idea that even in a relationship, as long as I'm doing something, I deserve to get something back. And what I get back should be equal to what I've done. And you can begin to negotiate with a 12-year-old about allowance. And I, and I, you know, my kids will tell you, they don't get allowance. They're part of a family. And in the family, you know, everybody contributes. And the blessing of that is that we love them. And we provide for every need that they have. Not necessarily every desire that they have, but none of their needs have gone unmet. And that includes fun stuff, too. And so what we get highlighted here 
is this this radical thing. This is a stunning parable that we're going to read that follows this question. And what it highlights in the simple message uh, uh, that this, we're going to look at this morning is the grace of God. The grace of God. That what we have in Christ, that what we have as we follow Christ is not relative, it couldn't be relative to all what we've done for him. We've not done enough. We are at best unprofitable servants. And we'll look more into this, the parable will explain this better. But some of us have this mentality that, that my walk with God, that I'm going to do all these things and as a result I'm never going to get sick. Or I'm never going to lose my job and God's going to just clear the rosy path for me because well, I've prayed hard this week, and I've gone to Bible study, and I've given in the offering box, and I've done all these things. Therefore, God should be doing this thing for me. And we've learned works-based life, a works-based relationship. A marriage, imagine if that was your marriage, you know. I've done all these things for you, and now you've got to do all these things for me. And it's really sort of manipulation, isn't it? And we can boil our Christian life down to that sometimes. And, but the alternative of grace is so much better. It's so much freer. And so the question again is, is therefore, what shall we have? What's our, our reward going to be? What's in it for me? Are you following Christ for what you can get out of Christ? And the danger Peter faces, and it's not really uh, inherent, you can't really tell uh, from reading it, but I believe that some of this whole who's going to be greatest thing is still coming up. And I believe that Peter is saying, look, Hey, we've left everything and followed you. Therefore, we ought to have, that ought to make us really great. I mean, we ought to be better than a lot of other people because we've done it. And they did, didn't they? Peter and Andrew, James and John dropped the nets and followed him. Dropped it right there. Matthew, the tax collector, left the tax collection table, put all his riches behind, all his friends, and he went off to follow Jesus. And Peter is expecting that they ought to be greatly rewarded, much greater than others. Because of what they'd done. So verse 28, Jesus says uh, to them, Assuredly I say to you that in the regeneration, or literally the new birth, when everything is made new, uh, the millennial kingdom most likely, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, first He's going to hang on the cross of shame. That's coming up. But then He will sit on the throne of His glory. You who have followed Me, will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. They, um, is, what do you do with Judas in that passage? I don't know. You know, the 12 thrones, um, maybe this is a pre-warning even to Judas. But he says, those of you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones. And, and somehow having oversight, judging, um, can, can mean uh, hearing, Complaints, you know, making decisions, uh, those kinds of things would be what the judges would do. Hear arguments and, and, and oversee things. Uh, you know, all of us are going to rule and reign with Christ in that day, the Bible says. Verse 29, he said, and he makes that clear, and everyone, and I think that's crucial, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands not because they got bored or not because they needed adventure, but for my name's sake. Not because it was hunting season or any of those other things. He says, the people that have left those for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold. And, and uh, 
I think it is Mark, I can't remember, that says, in this lifetime, in this lifetime, a hundredfold, and inherit eternal life. Everyone. So, Peter, there will be those that come after you, Peter. There are going to be others that are going to follow me, that are going to give up a lot to follow me. And some of you have given up a lot to follow. Some overseas have given up a lot to follow. Matthew, again, uh, Peter was a married man. He, he heals his mother-in-law. Uh, does he have kids? What did he have to, you know, he left his home to follow them. I remember thinking uh, when, when I first got into ministry, talking to Helga, you know, are we going to have to leave this house? Are we going to have to give this up? And we can come and be so scared about that, can't we? I mean, oh, what's God going to call me? I can't go on the mission field because I'm going to have to give some stuff up. I might have to to do this or to do that or to walk away from something and, oh, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if it's going to be worth it. Right? Isn't that sometimes what we think? What I have now is so good that surely when Christ calls me to go to Ukraine or to go, you know, I keep wondering when is the Lord going to raise up out of this ministry? And we have missionaries to Colombia down in Fluvanna. And I keep waiting for the Lord. When is He going to raise up folks that are willing to go to other places? to leave homes, to leave families. I remember uh, at one of the pastor's conferences listening to a guy named Frank Drain. Frank Drain was there in uh, Ecuador before Jim Elliott was there and had already been engaged in, mission, in missions work in a different part of the jungle. And he was speaking at this conference. He's an 80-some-year-old man now. Uh, and he, he shared with tears as he um, recounted the story of having gone to a, a conference and hearing uh, about missions work around the world and just feeling in his heart called to go. And so he went home, basically uh, said goodbye to his father and his mother and knew as he walked down the driveway to get into the car, to go uh, to leave for, for Ecuador, he knew it would be the last time he'd see his father. And it was, it truly was. And he was weeping as he was telling the story. It was the last time he ever saw his father because he was in the jungles of Ecuador. No internet service, no Wi-Fi. No, no post office. No cell phones. Thank you. Right. No. So, um, you know, we have to be careful because the focus can be on the family. And that can be unhealthy. That, because we have, again, I think as a knee-jerk reaction to the struggles that family have, the struggles and the difficulties, the family is under attack. And we know that's true. And so the opposite sin is to make our whole Christian life about family. And it's kind of, again, stunning here when he says that someone may be called to leave a house, to leave a brother or a sister. Some of you have to leave them in their sin, right? It's just a matter of leaving that sinful lifestyle and giving up those relationships. Those, But some sometimes it's to follow Jesus where he might call you. Brothers or sisters, father or mother, or even wife or children. And we wonder, well, how will they ever make it without me? God is so faithful. God is so faithful. And if you do this for my name's sake, look, shall receive a hundredfold. And history is filled with folks that have done this very thing. But let me tell you the, the greatest truth. I know that if anything happens to my family, that they've got a lot of, my kids have a lot of brothers and sisters because we're part of the body of Christ. They have, I haven't, you know, my family, I share this with you, my father, my mother, they're not uh, walking with Christ. They're not Christians. 
nice people but not Christians. And so because I can't share things with them, they don't, they, I can't say, hey, Dad, would you pray for me? But I can say that to Walter. Or I can say that to Brad or to Frank or to my other friends, my brothers or my spiritual fathers, to James. I can say, hey, can you pray for me about this? And in some ways, I, I may not have that, my father in that relationship, but I've got 25 other fathers in this fellowship and other Christian men that I know that are spiritual fathers and lots of spiritual brothers. And, you know, we've got two natural-born children, and, and uh, sometimes I wish we had more natural children, but look what the Lord has done. We have uh, 100 spiritual children. You get to send them to college, thankfully, but uh, I get to love them and get hugs from them and give them pez and spoil them. But the body of Christ, you can go overseas and, and have instant relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ no matter where you go around the world. And you will never, there's nothing you will give up. And you will go, man, I got cheated. What a racket this was. You know, you're not going to be sitting in heaven going, this stinks. Can you believe I gave up, I gave up partying for this? And we laugh, and I, and I try to make light of that, but here's the reality. Some of you are going to face these decisions. Just like one day I faced the decision to walk away from clientele, to walk away from business, to follow Jesus. And you are going to have to face these decisions, and you are going to have to weigh out for yourself how important is that relationship compared to what Christ is calling me to do. And if I hold on to this one, what am I missing out on over there? So then he says, verse 30, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. And that is weird, isn't it? I mean, that's not the way it's supposed to work. The first should be first, and the last last. I mean, that just makes sense. It's just simple common sense. The first is first. We first come, first serve. We know that. But I think what's being said, the, the first, um, th- those that are out in front may end up behind. And those that seem to be behind may end up out in front. There's this turning of the tables. And I think, what I, I don't know for sure, so I'm speculating a little bit, but I think that uh, in Peter's voice there was kind of this understanding, I'm going to do what I do for God because of, of what I'm going to receive from it, the honor I'm going to get. Remember, I'm going to, I'm going to show myself to be the greatest because I'm going to really, really sacrifice so that other people really, really honor and really, really notice and I get really, really great rewards. So we can have very selfish motives in what we do for the Lord, can't we? We talk about it in Malachi, you know, you give to God because no one can outgive God and, you know, God's going to, you just give and he's going to open up the windows and you go, oh yeah, open windows of heaven, blessing. I'm going to give so I can get back. And it misses the whole point, doesn't it? It misses the whole issue. There's a guy named Diotrephes. You read about him in that little postcard called Third John. And there's an interesting statement made about Diotrephes. He loved the preeminence. Literally, he loved to be first. Same word here. And I think it is that attitude that Jesus is warning about. Be careful, Peter. If what you do, you do so you can be first. Did you, when I was little, when I was growing up, we still had milk line at school. You know, you would line up at the door for milk. And, and everybody, as soon as it was milk time, man, everybody rushed to the door. Everybody wanted to be first. And, and, but we all got there eventually, right? We, the line was only 10 feet long. We were only, you know, we were little tiny kids. But what is this, there's this desire in us 
to be out in front of everybody else. And sometimes we have to push others out of the way to get there. Right? And I think this is what's being warned about in this passage. So, if you're going, what does it mean, Who first, last, last, first? Jesus says, let me explain it to you. And I'm going to use a parable. Remember, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's a metaphor. Using something that you're familiar with to explain to you a principle he's trying to teach you. So, verse 20 says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So, what's in picture here is a very familiar uh, event, a very familiar happening. The harvest was about to happen. They had worked all year to plant and water and fertilize and all the things that they had to do to take care, to tend the vineyard. And now the grapes were ready to be harvested, but the grape harvest came right before the rain season. And if it rained on the grape harvest, it would ruin the harvest. And so if it looked like, you know, if you, you watched the 10-day forecast and or, or the one-day forecast and you saw, hey, man, it looks like it's going to rain. The, the vineyard owner, who had laborers throughout the year, would now go hire extra laborers, day laborers, day workers, to help get this harvesting because there's a, there's a threatening weather and there's a time uh, presence here that we need to be sensitive to. So we've got to hurry. So we need as many hands doing the work as we can get. So he goes to the marketplace uh, early in the morning, 6 a.m. He's out there looking for workers for his vineyard. And so verse 2 says, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. We talked about that a few weeks ago. A denarius was a unit of money that represented a standard day's pay. So he would go to the, the area where if you were a day laborer, if you were a worker and you needed work, you, they didn't have temp agencies. So you'd go to the marketplace. And even today, you can sometimes go to the hardware store and get guys that can do construction or they're laborers and they'll, they'll carry this or dig that and they'll hang out at a, at a, a, a supply store looking for contractors coming to get supplies that may need someone for the day. And so they go, yeah, okay, come on, hop in the truck. What, what's the pay? You know, I'll give you, you know, nine bucks an hour, whatever. All right, come on, let's go. So they hop in the truck and off they go. So that's the idea. They're there looking for work. He finds them, says they, they, uh, discuss the wage, they agree on a denarius, and the, the guys get in the truck. So he went out, and verse 3 says, about the third hour, and saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth hour, and the ninth hour, and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out, and found others standing idle, and said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. So this goes on throughout the day. This, this vineyard uh, owner, this landowner, uh, continues to go to the marketplace to look for new workers that, that might have shown up. Maybe they had a little job in the morning. But now they, uh, they've come and they've returned to the marketplace looking for more work. When it says they're standing idle there, it's not like they're just flipping cards because they're bored or they don't really feel like working. Um, they're, they're waiting for someone to come and hire them. That's all they can do. Is, is that's the place to wait for people uh, to, to hire. And so all through the day, the first people he, he uh, makes this agreement about Denarius, but then, so he's 6 a.m., then 9 a.m., he goes out the third hour. 
gets more workers. Then at, at noon, at 12 p.m., at 3 p.m., and then finally the 11th hour is fi- That's an hour before quitting time. He finally finds, he finds more workers. All day he's gathering in workers up until one hour before quitting time. And none of these workers know what they're going to get paid. Because they're only working pieces and portions of a day. Some of them are only working half day. Some of them are only working one hour. So certainly they won't expect to get paid much, will they? And here's where the parable becomes stunning. Even stunning to us. Because grace is stunning. And, and we'll see that here. Verse 8. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. Now that's the same wording. The last ones to come are going to be the first ones to get paid. Which, no problem with that as of yet. I mean, that's, that's okay. That's okay right here. Verse 9, and when those who came, or those came who were hired about the 11th hour, they each received, how much? A denarius. Wow. They only worked one hour and they got a whole day's wage. That's pretty awesome. I mean, how many of you would like to work for someone like that? I mean, you know, you show up to work, at one, at get whatever, what, a whole day's worth. Um, let me not comment on that right now. We'll, we'll kind of wrap all this stuff up as we go through. So he says, give them all. They, they each received the denarius. Now, what do you think the other workers are thinking? The guys that were there at 6 a.m., they're going, all right. I mean, this guy is loaded and he's generous. And he gave them a denarius. They only worked an hour. We worked 12 times. We're going to get like 12 denarii. Now, look, if you were a day laborer, your family depended on you bringing home a day's wage. I mean, if you didn't work that day, you didn't eat because you didn't have a savings account. And so the fact that, that and, and that's a denarius was just about enough to stop by Food Lion and grab a pizza and some orange juice and, you know, maybe some salad and, and bring it home for dinner that night. Then you were back again the next day. And the prayer, give us this day our daily bread, I think meant a lot more in those days than it does today. So certainly they think, man. But when the first came, verse 10, they supposed that they would receive more. Sure. And they likewise received each a denarius. Huh. How do you think they felt? That is not fair. That is so not fair. Let's read on. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So uh, so the last will be first and the first last, for many are called, but few are chosen. 
so much to uh, identify in there. That last verse, many are called, few are chosen. Not going to really highlight that today because we will hit that. I think it's chapter 22. Yeah, in chapter 22, verse 14, we'll talk about that idea and, and, and how that um, plays out in our lives. But again, he, he finishes the parable with, so the last will be first and the first last. And the whole parable is really a highlight of the grace of God. And so let's just look at a couple things. The first guys, or the last guys that got hired, when they received their reward, you think they were happy? You think they, they felt like they got something they didn't deserve? They only deserved an hour's pay, you know, like a penny or something. But what they got was so much more. Now, did they know what they were going to receive? Did they ever ask? Or did they trust the landowner? They just trusted that he would be fair. They never worked out a deal. See, some of you come to church, you want to work out deals with God. All right, God, I'll go to the mission field if you do this for me. Or I'll and the, the most exciting way to serve God, and I think you see it here, is to forget about what you're going to get out of it. Forget about yourself. You know what? It's right to work your hardest all the time for the Lord. That's just what's right. Sometimes we, we go to, we approach our work, whether it's for the Lord or for our employer, well, we let our work come down to our pay level, right? Well, last job I was making 15 an hour, but now I got this new job and I'm only making 10. I'm not going to work that hard. Because they're not paying me enough to work hard. They don't pay me enough to work that hard around here. You see how that can work? But these laborers, we, we don't know anything about how hard they worked or anything like that. All we know is that they came to the job late in the day and the generous nature of the landowner was to give them way more than they deserved. And that's what, that's what Jesus has already said. Look, Peter, you don't have to worry about what your reward is going to be. You trust that you are going to get way more than you ever gave. There's nothing you're going to have sacrificed. There's nothing you're going to give up. Folks in here this morning, there is nothing you are going to give up. I mean, some of you, God is called to give up like drugs and pornography. It's like, is that really giving up something? What you get in the body of Christ is so much better. Fulfillment, completeness, wholeness, healing. All of those things. As you serve in the field of God, forget about what you're going to get out of it. Trust and know this. You have a gracious, a very gracious landowner. A very, very gracious God. He has been so good to me. I look around. Ah, look, Lord, I do what you do because you called me to do it. And I'll do it with all of my might. And I trust it. And he has exceeded my expectations. I think about the Apostle Paul. In Philippians 3, he said, I gave up all this stuff. You know, I had, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was a well-known. I was part of the Sanhedrin. I had wealth. I had fame. I had popularity. I had power. And I gave it all up. And he didn't say I gave it all up so I could have a different kind of power or a different kind of this. He said, I gave it all up for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. It was worth it, giving everything up just so I could know Christ and the power of his re resurrection and the fellowship of his, his, his sufferings. They were pumped. And the person who comes to God with no expectations is always excited to see what the Lord does for them. I mean, I, I was telling folks at prayer, sometimes I just think a thought in my heart. And the Lord already knows it and he answers it. He answers it as if it was turned into a prayer. 
Delight yourself in the Lord. And He will give you the desires of your heart. It is so true. God has, He, he can do exceedingly, look, you can, you can work it out, you can try to, to frame God in, you can try to, you know, make sure it's tit for tat with God. Okay, God, I'm gonna do this, but you gotta do this for me. Okay, God, I'm only gonna do this. If you do this for me, make sure it's fair. And if, and God said, okay, I'll do what you asked. The people that were, they got a denarius, didn't they? They got what they asked for. But God can do exceedingly and abundantly more than you can ask or think. And so I quit limiting him. I quit putting expectations on him. Here's the one thing I know. I have a heavenly father who loves me. And he tells me not to worry about what I'm going to eat or what I'm going to wear. He says, look, seek first the kingdom of, of heaven and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. And God has made my life so incredibly rich in a thousand ways. So I, I mean, one of these, these latecomers, and I was a latecomer. Compared to Peter, we're all latecomers, aren't we? I mean, you can look at this as through the time of history, we didn't bear the burden of the persecution under the Roman Empire, did we? And we can easily look at it and go, well, we're latecomers onto the scene. Peter and, and the apostles, certainly they're going to have much greater rewards. We all get the same eternal life, don't we? We all get the same eternal life. And we say, well, that's not fair. Peter would say, that's not fair. He would, Peter would probably stomp his feet. That's not fair. That's not fair. Grace isn't fair, folks. No one said grace was fair. Grace, is, grace costs the giver everything and the recipient nothing. Couple other things. So, so they come, they get there, and the other guys are thinking, man, we're going to get more. They had expectations. And because they had these great expectations, what happened? They were disappointed. And again, some of you come to Christ. Today might be the day that God is calling you to be a worker in His vineyard. You've been standing around waiting, hoping to find uh, answers, hoping to find God. And today's the day He calls you. And you might come with expectation. Here's what I expect it to be when I become a Christian. And if you have those expectations, you may be sorely disappointed, right? And some of you have known people, or maybe you yourself, Thought when I got saved, everything was going to be this way. And it didn't work out quite the way you thought. And these guys that bore the burden of the heat of the day, they felt cheated. They were ungrateful. But they got everything that was promised to them, didn't they? And this is the danger of the, of seeking to be first. Of seeking to to do more and get more because you, you're going to have more for yourself. The danger is you become very disappointed. Very disappointed. So the interesting thing is their response. He says, uh, you, you know, we agreed for Denarius, verse 14. Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as you. So did God, did the landowner take away anything from those first workers to be generous to the last? You see, we have these ungracious attitudes in the church. You know, we see someone walk in here. You, you've been in church all your life. You were born in church. You were baptized in church. You grew up going to Sunday school. You were confirmed or christened or whatever it was that you went through. You, communion and all, the first communion and, and all these things all your life. You know, you have the whole thing. You got the certificates on the wall, Sunday school attendance, all those things. And you've, attended, you've not missed a Sunday church or a Wednesday Bible study. And then some goofball 
comes in here. He's got pierced lips, tattoos up and down his arm, satanic tattoos up and down his arm, wearing work boots and ripped jeans, and he smells like alcohol. And he gets saved. And you're telling me I've been all my life serving the Lord and he's going to get the same thing I get? Yep. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly right. And be careful because shouldn't we be happy for that person? Shouldn't we be pumped at the graciousness of our God to that person? Because that was me. I was a latecomer. And even in, in ministry now, you know, Thank God that he that, that there's no disadvantage to being born at a different in a different era, or there's no you know, all the workers were there all day. Listen, and here's here's I think the ultimate point of this whole deal, all of it, for the early workers and the late workers, all of it is by grace, isn't it? Did did this landowner have to call them? Did, they didn't have any work. They were dependent, waiting, and the landowner called them to work. And I would say I would extend this parable and say he gave them the shovel, he gave them the rake. He gave him the job to do, and then he paid him for doing it. That's the grace of God, folks. So who are who are we to boast? As if we've done anything on our own. He found us. He sought you out. He saved you. He redeemed your life from the pit. You had one foot in the grave and one on a banana peel. And he bought you with his blood. Because He loved you. And He made promises to you about eternal life and blessing. And then He gifted you so that you could serve Him. All of it, folks, from beginning to end with grace. Wasn't it? And so that's why He says to these last workers, this is the sad part of this, or is your eye evil? Meaning an evil eye is a jealous eye or, or um, greedy. That's the point. That, this is the, the deal with trying to be first. You get greedy. I want my milk first. I want my cookies first. And, and that's what had happened to these early workers. Is that what happens to you? Does that happen to you when you see God blessing and pouring out His grace in someone else's life? Do you get jealous thinking, man, why, why do I bother? Why do I bother doing all the things I do for God if he's just going to turn out that person doesn't deserve it? They just got saved two weeks ago. And now look at them. They're, they're on the downtown mall sharing Christ with people or they're serving in the children's ministry and they're so happy. I hate them. I just hate that person because they're so happy. And they, I deserve it. And then you begin to pray like that. God, haven't you seen what I've been doing all my life for you? Why don't you bless me? Why, why not me? You know, and we, we get this extremely, if you truly love your neighbor as yourself, right? We're so thankful. You know, whether it's throughout history, and I sit here looking at Colonel in the, in the front row. Praise the Lord, Colonel. You got saved at age, or baptized at age 94, right? Praise the Lord. We are going to be together. You're not going to be like, you know, I'm not going to be sitting up here on this high throne. Because I serve the Lord for 17 years, and you're down here because you know you, you started at age 94. I started at age 24, and someone else started at age 14, and, and we're all going to be linked arms serving the Lord together, 
uh, here in this world and enjoying eternal life and the benefits of this life. Has there been benefits for you, Colonel, in following the Lord? Absolutely. I've watched it in your face. I've watched you sing the, the songs here. And so no matter when, whether it's from one age to the next, or even some that got saved when they were 10 years old and others when they were 94. It's all by grace. Whether He called you 6 a.m. or at 5 p.m. It's still His call, isn't it? And it's still His desire to bless you and to reward you. And no one is going to say, man, I got cheated. Amen? Simple message today on the grace of God. Thank God for it. Amen? Uh, Phil, if you come up and close with a... A final song.